Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The risks street vendors take to sell their goods came into stark relief when 45-year-old Lorenzo Perez was shot and killed in broad daylight last month in Fresno while selling food from a bicycle cart. The pandemic has also led to a drop in sales for vendors amid a rise in thefts and assaults. Joining me now is Nadia Lopez, a Latino communities reporter for the Fresno Bee. Thanks so much for joining us, Nadia Lopez. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Also with us is Mari Bolaños, reporter covering immigration and underserved communities for KVPR. Mari Bolaños, happy to have you here as well. And Nadia Lopez, I will start with you first. Can you tell us more about Lorenzo Perez and what happened to him in March? Yes. So I spoke to the wife and son of Lorenzo Perez. He was an elotero who was shot and killed while he was working in a southeast Fresno neighborhood. Um, He was a father of four. He lived in a really poor neighborhood in Fresno, sole breadwinner of the family. And um, like many other um, street vendors, he was not legally authorized to work in the U.S., So um, he worked, you know, 10, 12 hour days sometimes and he'd come home in the evenings and he would stay up all night making his paletas and nieves by hand, prepping his elotes for the next day and often selling these items for just a couple dollars a piece. So these are, um, there are many more vendors across the state and Latino communities that fit this profile. Mm. And what happened to him last month? He was working just another regular um, sunny afternoon on a Sunday, and um, the assailant went up to him and engaged in a brief conversation before he pulled out a gun and um, shot him in what police say was an execution-style killing. Um, They shot him in the head, and he immediately um, was unresponsive and died. So it came as quite a, a horrible shock understandably to the family and the community as well. He was killed right next to a day, um, a daycare center or a school. So you could imagine how, um, how community members felt so afraid after that. How has the pandemic made things harder for street vendors in addition to this increased anxiety that sounds like it's really and fear and, and sadness that is gripping the community there? Yes, well, um, street vendors, it's a largely immigrant workforce. Many are undocumented, poor, don't speak English well. They carry cash with them and are often alone. And that makes them prime targets for crime. And um, because they're undocumented, they're less likely to report incidents to the police out of fears. And that's why so many people and advocates say that they estimate make estimate many more violent crimes like assaults and robberies and thefts go unreported 
And as you mentioned, the pandemic has really exacerbated all of these existing vulnerabilities. Um, many of the places where vendors stand near public transport, banking centers, um, you know, public plazas and squares, uh, they've all had less foot traffic during the pandemic. And with less people on the streets, vendors have not only like lost income, but also the safety that comes from being in a place with a lot of foot traffic. And in places where like Fresno, where there's significant economic need, communities of color are already disproportionately suffering from poverty. Hmm. Madhi Balanus, can you talk about how Fresno is responding to all of this from community members and advocates to to community leaders? Sure. So from the beginning, there was a lot of outpour of support. Um, I know they held some vigils um, immediately after he was killed. And in addition to that, community organizers, community members have really rallied and started organizing protection efforts that look like providing PPE, um, pepper spray, um, taking donations for video and audio recorders so that street vendors can feel that safety in a time where they're all super anxious and you know not sure how they can continue, but at the same time having to continue because like Nadia said, it is their only source of income. And so that seems somewhat like PPE and, and pepper spray, like a, a rather short-term solution. Nadia Lopez, are there other efforts that are more structural potentially? Yes, definitely. In Fresno, following um, the most recent murder of you know, Lorenzo Perez, because there have been other reported incidents in the past year as well, um, city and police officials have establish a food vendor association. Um, the city says it will provide like additional protections for vendors. They want to equip them with sirens and cameras. Um, there's no cap currently on the spending for the association and they hope that it will go towards security efforts, getting them legally permitted and their business licenses because that's another concern for vendors as well, who, if they're not legally permitted and something happens to them, they're less likely to go to the police. Hmm. So they're hoping that, um, the city's hoping that, you know, helping to sponsor some of those things um, at no additional cost to the vendors will encourage them to facilitate, you know, more trust with law enforcement. But um, with that, a lot of advocates say that, you know, police presence alone and, um, even the streamlined permitting process won't necessarily guarantee safety because a lot of the issues that street vendors face are really systemic. We're talking with Nadia Lopez, Latino communities reporter for the Fresno Bee, and Mari Bolaños, a reporter covering immigration and underserved communities for KVPR. We're talking about the increased danger street vendors face during the pandemic and efforts to help them. And Nadia and Mari are two members of the Central Valley News Collaborative. I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What questions or comments do you have about the situation for street vendors? Do you have an experience to share as a street vendor? Uh, would you say, what would you say is the biggest risk that you think street vendors face? 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to weigh in. 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Mari Bolaños, advocates are talking about how the street vendors face regular attacks. Fresno police say there were six incidents involving street vendors across the city last year. So are these attacks underreported, as Nadia said, 
says, and do you think that some of the calls for increased police presence is something that that vendors will welcome? Oh, there are definitely more than go um, reported. Some of the vendors that I spoke to have faced um, not attacks, but they've been robbed um, and that has left them shaken up. Um, Angelita Rodriguez, one of the vendors I spoke to just a few months ago, was robbed of like her most expensive blankets. Um, And then since then, she's been hesitant about returning to work, especially after hearing what happened to Lorenzo Perez. And then um, another couple who also sell clothing and shoes and like construction gear on a street corner in Fresno. They were robbed of some of their um, material as well. Um, And, you know, they say they want more protection, but they're wary of more police protection, especially after a Fresno police officer was just fired for being a Proud Boy member. So it's clear that they, they know that they want protection and that they need it. But I think the means of that protection is still a little fuzzy and they're just, they're just wary because they don't have the best relationships with the police um, in our city um, and to no fault of their own, but it's just something that they are worried about. And Nadia Lopez, you had an interesting comment in one of your articles about this, that there's a general sentiment that usually nothing comes from reporting to the police, that many vendors view reporting robberies, as Madia is describing, as futile. What typically happens after something's reported like this? Well, yeah, um, a lot of street vendors feel that um, the cons of reporting something to the police outweigh the pros because it's not like they're going to get whatever was stolen from them back. It's not like they're going to get their money back or their whatever items were stolen from them. And they fear that, well, if they expose themselves to the police, that if they're undocumented or don't have their legal permits to work, that that's something a police officer could potentially harass them about. So that's why they feel that you know, it might not be worth their time. Let me go to caller Christian in San Francisco. Hi, Christian. Hi. Uh, I just want to pick up on a comment that Nadia uh, earlier mentioned. Uh, so California's counties and cities are set to get uh, about $16 billion from the American Rescue Plan. Uh, I think it would be a really good idea to use some of those dollars to help make sure that the street vendors can actually get the permits that they need because it both helps the street vendor um, make sure that they get extra income but it's also the, the public safety aspect to all this. They'd be le- uh, more likely to go to the police should something uh, occur to them. Uh, Christian, thanks. Nadia, do you want to comment on, on Christian's point here? Yeah, there have been um, a lot of efforts around the state. I think of particularly L.A., um, you know, uh, for example, organizing efforts in places like LA, LA have existed for a longer time. I spoke with an organizer from Inclusive Action for the City. It's like an LA-based street vendor advocacy group um, who has been really advocating for street vendors at the statewide policy level as well as locally to kind of um, get money to better protect them and to kind of enforce these policies that would prevent Um, future crimes and assaults and such. But of course, that comes with political will. And now with this renewed attention in Fresno, um, I think and I hear from several people in the community that there could be that and there is that movement and that political will to establish a more robust effort um, that would mirror something like in L.A., 
Yes, and by bringing up ballet, and as you touched on earlier, while we're focusing on Fresno, what happened there and how the community there is responding, it sounds like uh, there have been there have been concerns, upticks also in thefts and assaults in other parts of the state. Is that right, Nadia Lopez? Yes, that's right. For all of the same reasons that were previously mentioned, you know, those those vulnerabilities have have only been more exacerbated because of the pandemic. And again, Nadia Lopez is a reporter for the Fresno Bee, Latino communities reporter there. Mari Bolaños is a reporter for KVPR covering immigration and underserved communities. You, our listeners, are with us. We're talking about the increased dangers that street vendors face during the pandemic. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Carlos writes, when I was eight, my mom and I became street vendors, and we would go out to several spots in Oakland to sell tamales out of a large backpack. Sometimes we would sell tamales very quickly, and other times it would take many hours. While we were worried of being robbed or hurt while selling at night, our biggest fear was losing our supply of tamales because that represented a week of rent or food for us. To make sure we kept our tamales, we would always be on the move, never selling in one place for too long. We no longer sell tamales, but that chapter in my life has taught me so much about patience, kindness, and growth. Mari Bolaños, I'm struck by Carlos's comment because he is detailing in many ways the struggles, but also um, how it taught him about patience, kindness, and growth. I mean, in the best of times, what do you think, what do you think people should understand about the street vendor community in Fresno? Oh man, they're they're a part of your community as well as they're a part of their own street vending community. Um, I have memories of street vendors coming to my street and getting so excited and running out and you know buying elotes or paletas or whatever. And it's just they're a part of our community and they're people who are just trying to make a living and support their family. And I think that that's something that everyone should keep in mind. And they look they look different, right? It's not just people who are selling elotes or paletas, but they're selling clothes or they're selling Easter baskets or Valentine's Day things. And they're doing it, like I mentioned, to make a living, just like I think a lot of people in this country are doing. So I think to remember that they're people and they're just trying to survive. And it's reminding me, Nadia Lopez, of a, of a quote as well in your piece where you talk about um, how there's a sense of just a general lack of respect for street vendors. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, uh, because they're vulnerable, because they don't speak English or because they're poor, you know, people, um, they, they ignore them. They don't see them as, um, I mean, if they don't understand it, if they're not Mexican or Latino, sometimes it's difficult for someone to, potentially understand why they're such a vibrant staple of Mexican culture. Um, street vendors have these deep cultural roots in Mexican-American and Latino communities in the U.S. It's, it's one of those traditions that reflects the biculturalism that immigrants, first, second, third generations hold. And, you know, advocates and community members and the people that support street vendors all say that the violence against them threatens the vibrancy of their neighborhoods. And, for people who want to learn more about that, you know, just go to a neighborhood and see the kinds of conversations street vendors have with the people who live there. You know, the music that plays from their cards, the festive cumbias and the dancing and the singing and the way the kids um, all line up to see them. And so 
they may look like just another passerby or just another person, you know, in the corner of your eye, but they mean so much more to those people. Are you sensing anything different in the way Fresno has responded to Lorenzo Perez's killing, but also you've reported on two other violent and fatal attacks at the end of last year as well. Do you sense a difference uh, or like stronger efforts, Mari Bolaños, to protect and respect street vendors now? Oh, definitely. I think on the community level and on the city level that there are just so much more efforts being made to make sure that these community members feel protected and feel safe. And I think that that um, just shows how Fresno and the Fresno area is really coming together to support these people and to support uh, the community in which they live in. So that, that's been something that has been great to see in what is a lot of tra tragedy. And Nadia Lopez, so we're hearing that Fresno is going to try to, you know, install cameras and there's efforts to provide pepper spray. There's efforts to create a street vendor association as well for broader support. One of the things that advocates talked about is the need to invest in multilingual education resources. Can you just talk about what that would do, where, what to make those investments for? Yes, definitely. So a lot of advocates have stressed that, you know, street vendors need to feel like they have all the resources at hand to be able to obtain the business license, to be able to feel safer. And a lot of the times it's community organizations that are filling in that gap because they don't necessarily always have um, the best uh, relationships or trust with local government or police. And so education and outreach is what advocates have been stressing. And that includes um, distributing information in Spanish and also having people who speak Spanish and having people who can communicate in these indigenous languages that a lot of street vendors uh, primarily speak so that they can get all of the information that they need. And that's also something advocates have been saying when it comes to police. And if you're going to increase police presence, you need officers in those communities who speak Spanish and who can communicate as well with street vendors and the people who live there. Otherwise, it's going to feel like just another intimidating force and presence in the community. Has there been any, any relief or any update in terms of Lorenzo Perez's family? Yes, there has been, as Maddie said, um, so much community support for this family. He was a father for the youngest of his children, was a year old, and now it's up to his mother to, um, or his wife, uh, to provide for their family. But um, the council member who represents the district in which he lived has really rallied um, alongside the community to provide um a year's worth of free groceries for the family. He's looking currently right now to put them in a, a safer and better housing mm. situation. So there really has been a lot of support for this family and what they've told me is that they're grateful. Well, Nadia Lopez, Mari Bolaños, thank you for your reporting on this. Also want to thank our producers, Blanca Torres and Susan Britton for producing today's segments and our listeners for their attention. I'm Mina Kim, you've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. 
Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two. New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.